Her generation really embraces therapy. I think that social media has been good for therapy. I think the pandemic and social media have been good for therapy because through the pandemic, we all did things virtually and we were posting things because we were kind of bored and we were at home. And there were a lot of posts about seeing their therapist and going on telehealth with their therapist. And I feel like that really helped. Not only did it normalize working from home and it normalized virtual meetings, it also normalized therapy. Welcome to the Voyage Dallas podcast, where we interview some of the brightest and most interesting entrepreneurs, artists, and creatives from in and around the Dallas-Fort Worth area and ask them about their lives, careers, and the values and principles that drive them. I'm Alex Freeman, and on the show today, you'll meet Beth Lewis of the Beth Lewis Therapy Group. Beth is an entrepreneur, family therapist, and teacher to new therapists. She's also a Voyage content partner. Content partners help Voyage in so many ways from spreading the word about the work that we do, sponsoring our mission, and collaborating with us on content like this. In our conversation, Beth talks about her sheen method and how lifestyle impacts our mental health and fitness in the world. For me, it was really enlightening way to look at how not drinking enough water might be contributing to some of the anxiety that I'm feeling. I hope you find it as enlightening as I did. Beth Lewis, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, If you wouldn't mind, would you briefly just kind of tell us who you are and what you do so that we can sort of contextualize your journey a little bit by by giving us this end point or current point, maybe the better way to put that. Yeah, I am Beth Lewis. My credentials are, you see this often when seeking therapy, Um, my credentials are LPC, S, which stands for Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. There are a lot of acronyms for therapists, but I am a therapist and um, a family therapist, not a massage therapist, not any other type of therapist, but psychotherapist is what we're often called. And I have a master's degree in this field and as well, 3,000 hours of clinical work postgraduate degree pre-licensure that we are required by the state board to achieve. So we therapists are very proud of our education, um, which is why we kind of shrug our shoulders a little and frown upon those that call themselves life coaches and whatnot. (laughs) Um, um, Very different, very different um, trade, very different skill set. Let's see. So family therapist, I have a really beautiful small private practice on the south side of Fort Worth, Texas. And we see the whole family, basically. We can see the whole family. Um, It's myself and a staff of four others currently, and I'm looking to grow that. And, you know, I have wanted to work with families, uh, specifically for me, I've wanted to work with families of divorce since my own family went through their divorce, my own family being my family of origin, my parents' divorce. Um, I've really wanted to work with the kids that go through divorces. Um, and, and that's what we do. We work, I'm a, I'm a strong child advocate first. Um, but I, funny enough, I don't see children. I work with parents. I work with the adults because I feel the adults are, are the ones that need to be spoken to if children are struggling. So what I do is I run a private practice. I see my own full load of clients each week. 
and pride myself in being part of the equation that is trying to break the stigma of therapy and trying to make therapy a much more self-care mainstream. This is most everybody does it type of type of thing. Um, and, and I feel like we're, we're pretty involved on that end. Yeah. I think that that, does that answer that question? I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It does. And I definitely want to um, circle back to, that that uh, I mean, a lot of the things that you talked about, and we'll get to them in the in the course of this conversation, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But like, even with with you, you know, with the the licenses and the three thousand clinical hours of work, uh, pre licensure, the it your journey was not, you know, the the straightforward. Left high school, went to college, going to get the the degree and the licensure, and now I'm practicing. Um, can you yes, give us that? Uh, <laughs> The, the overview of your journey to get to this point? Absolutely. And, you know, Alex, I've had the, the honor of various people, various interviewers, various um, groups of professionals who have asked me to speak to this end. And I'm thrilled and honored that, that m- some find my story interesting. I find it um sometimes I, I, I find it frustrating because I wanted to be on track. I wanted to go from high school to college and pledge a sorority and do all the things and go to football games and, and kind of have that collegiate path. And I did not. I ended up after high school, I was a really strong student in high school. I went to a small East Texas high school and um, graduated and went to a state university that was in that town and really kind of failed out because my family of origin, I wasn't, I I wasn't ready for college really is what we could, could, could go to. But my family of origin went through that divorce my senior year and it was very painful for me. And um, it really kind of shook my foundation. And I ended up um, kind of packing up my heartache, if you will, and going to Dallas. My mother and I both moved to Dallas, and and I found my way into Deep Ellum's music scene in the '90s, and I felt welcome there. And I, I'm grateful for that music scene. I feel like it was a net that caught me when I was kind of falling, and um, I spent instead of years in college and the Greek system and football games, I spent the next many years um, creating music, writing music, uh, joining band, uh, joining the band um, with some really strong musicians. I'm, I'm still kind of tickled with the experience I had at that time because I was really exposed to some of the better musicians that Dee Bellum had at that time and um, wrote music. And we toured up and down the East Coast and um, I got my share of tattoos and met all my my friends at that time that are still friends of mine today and they're still doing music and they're still creatives and going that path also kind of sidelined me into the deep Ellum drug culture. And while I did not become a drug addict, while I did not do a lot of drugs, I did my share and I met people who were becoming drug addicts and who were doing more than their share. And with that, I had a very close girlfriend who ended up passing away from from a drug overdose, and that dumped me into an even darker place, needless to say. And I 
with that, I ended up kind of, if you will, running away from home. I was 22 years old. And while most were graduating college and moving on to graduate school, I was running away from home. I literally got on a midnight Greyhound bus from Dallas to New Orleans. And I spent the next year in New Orleans in squat houses and running around kind of on the streets, if you will, kind of panhandling and met a, an entire culture there that of kids that were as lost as I more lost than I, and they were, we would find squat houses together, which are just kind of abandoned houses or no one's paying attention. And you kind of, kind of sleep on the floor, sleep on an old sofa that's there. And um, that's what we did. And we got, we ate food that was, being put out to the trash at the end of a day. This is all so true. And it just kind of cracks me up in a, in a dark humor kind of way. But we, I did that for the better part of a year and I ended up coming back to Dallas at the end of that very tired year with, with an ulcer and with a lot of signs of high stress and poor lifestyle. And it was at that point that I started back into, well, we, we, were making music and doing all those things and kept doing that, continued getting back on path, touring the East coast, doing up and down the East coast, touring around the country, all van style with the band I was in. And we, but being back in Dallas helped me get the bottom back underneath me and a foundation back underneath me. And I stayed that music route for a while. And then I married another musician who's still a professional musician today. And he and I had a daughter and she's a musician and she's spectacular. She's currently studying at Parsons in New York, studying photography. She's 19 now. And I went to school at the age of 31. I decided I'm going to do that thing that called me when I was 18, which is I'm going to go study how to help families of divorce and how to help families that struggle, which mine did. And I had done Um, And so I got my bachelor's degree at 31 from UT Dallas and then took a year to work. And then I went for my master's degree in professional counseling at Texas Wesleyan. Um, And somewhere in there, I had my daughter and she stayed on my hip for the bulk of that. Then I graduated with that master's degree and did those 3000 hours and finished up with that. They call that the internship. And then I opened a private practice and it's been, been like this since. Thinking about um, that 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 year or so in New, in New Orleans, and there there are so many people that share that portion of the story um, that are mm-hmm. unable to get the bottom back underneath them. What do you attribute to to how how were you able to do that, and what do you attribute your ability to restabilize to? One hundred percent, my mom. My mom restabilized me. My mom didn't give up. My mom kept. And I don't know how we did it back then, pre-phone, pre-cell phones. Pre- I mean, I remember having a calling card that one of the kids in the squat house had stolen from somebody. And we were, yes, I'm admitting to breaking the law right now. We were using this person's calling card to call people from a payphone. So I would use the calling card to call people, call my mom from a payphone and I talked to her that way for the year that I was there. And then, then, then the calling card finally got shut down because someone became privy. But um, I mean, and those of you who don't know what a calling card is, you can just kind of Google that and, and figure it out. But um, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. So how the communication happened is still a little mysterious to me. But 
it did. And my mom is a strong human being. And while she was part of the <laughs> equation that rocked our family up a bit, she was also part of the solution. And mm. she brought me back. She, she brought me back to Dallas and, and let me live with her. And she kind of nurtured me back to health, if you will. And, you know, interestingly enough, there is the crew that I ran around with in New Orleans. Some of them, yes, a, a, a couple of them have passed away um, way before their time because they weren't able to get that bottom back under them. You're right. And a couple of them, though, went on to do really spectacular things. You know, one is in one is living in L.A. and he's a writer and he's a photographer and he's doing some really creative things. And um, another moved to Austin and he really kind of shook off a lot of the underbelly of New Orleans. He was actually raised in New Orleans and he shook that off and did some really great things in Austin. So there's some really success stories too um, out of that group that's that's intriguing still today because you're right, not everybody had the working knowledge, I guess, on how to how to recover. They didn't have someone with a, a life jacket thrown that was that they threw at them, you know? So yeah, my mom, my mom is the answer to that question. Then how does uh, this the, the journey that, that brought you to where you are now, how does that inform the work that you're actively doing? I hope that because of where I've been and what I've done, I hope that my therapy and the therapists I teach and our therapy group as a whole has a whole lot of grit and texture to it. I hope that I breathe my path into my work on a daily basis, and I hope it shows up. I hope that my clients who sit in my therapy room with me on my sofa and they say, I hope they, I hope they feel my heart and soul because my heart and soul is shaped by these chapters in my 20s. My heart and soul is shaped by the DiBella music scene. My heart and soul is shaped by the time in New Orleans. My heart and soul is shaped by my mother, who is strong and, and, and wise beyond her years. And I hope that it shows up through the words we choose, through the lens we use. I hope it shows up that way. That's, that's how I feel about that question. You you alluded to this a little bit in your um, one of your earlier answers about how the the idea of therapy and the the kind of thought process around therapy and the culture is is becoming a little bit more mainstream. Um, I want I would love for you to speak to that, but I'd also I'm also curious how the culture of therapy itself may have shifted um, in recent years, and if that has impacted how how therapy has come mainstream. I think that the generation of my daughter, <laughs> again, she's 19. I think that the genera her generation really embraces therapy. I think that social media has been good for therapy. I think the pandemic and social media have been good for therapy because through the pandemic, we all did things virtually and we were posting things because we were kind of bored and we were at home. And there were a lot of posts about seeing their therapists and going on telehealth with their therapists. And I feel like that really helped not only did it normalize working from home and it normalized virtual meetings, it also normalized therapy as a part of just kind of sustaining life and quality of life. And that I feel happened in the last couple of years, pre-pandemic or even just three, four, five years ago, therapy was kind of looked at as something you did if you had a problem. My gosh, you could, and, and, 
we kept it on the down low. We weren't talking mm-hmm. about it. We weren't boastful about seeing a therapist. And the, the funny thing is, is our board, I've got to look and see if this has been updated. I've kind of just turned the other way, quite frankly, but the board for a lot of years in my beginning years as a therapist, it was stated in our bylines that we weren't allowed to have signage, big visual signage. Like we couldn't have a storefront. We couldn't have big visual signage so that we could honor the confidentiality and the privacy of our, our clients who walk into our offices. So no one would see them walking into a therapist office. So we oh, were wow. part of the oppressive problem. We were part of the problem that said, Hey, you know what? If you're walking in this office, don't let anyone know. And that's, I just call 100% bullshit on that. Like I, I feel we need to absolutely speak up that we're going to therapy and this is my therapist and this is how often I go and kind of own it. Like my daughter's generation does. They have no problem talking about it and they have no problem saying, yeah, this is my therapist's name. I see her twice a week. I see her once a week. Um, I see her through telehealth. I go to her office, whatever the case may be. And before that, my generation tended to not only keep it on the down low, but we wouldn't brag about it. And it certainly, if we were going, it was because there was a problem. And now I like being part of the solution that suggests that you go to therapy to take care of yourself, not because there's a problem. It's like saying, I have a personal trainer and you wouldn't say to me, oh my God, why do you have a personal trainer? Are you overweight? Are you not feeling healthy? Instead, you would probably reply with, wow, that's great. A personal trainer. Oh my gosh, I need one. Give me the name. And when we say I've got a therapist, oftentimes, several years ago, the the reply would be, oh my gosh, what's wrong? What are you going through? And now a days, I hope that the exchange is, I got a therapist. Oh my God, that's so great. I have one too. Or how, how often do you see yours and have a really normal conversation about it. And that's um, the difference. I feel like the what has happened to kind of redirect therapy and the stigma and kind of debunk the stigma. People are owning it and they're posting about it and, and they're talking about it. And it's not about going to therapy because there's a problem. Um, and I certainly hope my little small but mighty practice <laughs> is a part of that, uh, that, that exchange. Mentioning a, uh, a personal trainer, I know that, you know, in the, in the realm of, uh, physical fitness, I, you know, I think most personal trainers would say that, you know, if you see them twice a week, that's, you know, that's good and all, but if you're, all you're eating is McDonald's, uh, that seeing them twice a week, isn't really going to do much. Is there a similar yes. lifestyle component to mental health? Absolutely. And, and, a lifestyle component that I have um, penned is called the Sheen Method. I'm a very big believer in lifestyle being a supporter or a destroyer of our human condition. And um, the Sheen Method is sleep, hydration, exercise, expression, and nutrition. And I believe that when those five tenets are basically in place most days of each week, we are more qualified to combat anxiety, depression, compulsivity, the things that rattle us um, when we're when we're in our darker places. So lifestyle, absolutely. I believe it. And you know, as therapists, I get it. We have clients come in and they're in a they're in a, a bad space or they're in a, a 
I don't like to say bad space. They're in a darker space. They're having a struggle happening in their life and they're really wanting to work through it. And when a therapist says, are you, are you hydrating enough? That sounds comical. Like why the hell would you just ask me if I'm hydrating enough when I'm telling you about a divorce I'm going through? Well, the thing about it is, is that that's exactly what we therapists need to be asking. We need to be asking about sleep cycles and hydration and exercise and nutrition. And that expression piece is a whole nother category that's very important. How are we expressing ourselves? Are we journaling? Are we jogging? Are we playing the drums? Are we playing the guitar? Are we writing music? Are we painting? Um, Because those feelings, those emotions belong in a creative place. So lifestyle, yes. And that's part of the lens we use here at the Beth Lewis Therapy Group is my Sheen Method, which is to really hone in on the lifestyle of our clients outside of our therapy sessions. How long have you been uh, operating with the Sheen Method and sort of what are the, the origins of its development in your practice? I wrote the Sheen Method when I was an intern. Remember I said those 3,000 hours is, mm-hmm. we refer to as the internship. It was during those 3,000 hours when I wrote that method um, because it... I, Honestly, it was kind of self-disclosure. It was watching myself in my darker hours, what helped me. And as I started kind of talking to my clients about how do you live outside of here, I started connecting the dots that, wow, our lifestyle, our behavior outside of here is huge. It matters so much on, on whether it facilitates or destroys our our psyche. And I wrote that, so that when I was an intern was probably 2010. I wrote that about 12 years ago and I've used it. I've put it down. I've tweaked it. I've used it. I've put it down. I've tweaked it. Um, and it's just coming back, uh, with, with, a with a grand fervor in the last couple of years. And I've spoken about it to different audiences. Um, and it really has, has legs. It works. Um, it's something that one, it's something that puts us in control of our scenario, which is a beautiful gift to give to anybody. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the sheen method has been in the works and been working for the past 12 years, I guess. In your life and in your practice, uh, okay. what, what are some barriers that hold you back? In my professional work, yeah, and, or or in your or in your you know personal life or your ambitions as an as an artist or kind of any where does um, it sort I, of where do you stop pursuing what you want to be pursuing? That's such a great question, and it's such a great question. It tripped me up. I think that what stops me and what holds me back is what people will think. I'm guilty of that. Mm. I like positive feedback. I like to be liked. And that's not super high functioning. I know that, <laughs> but it is the truth about Beth Lewis. I like um, gold stars. And so if I think someone's not going to like something, that stops me often. And I have learned in the past handful of years, I've really been clearing that down and, and looking that in the eyes because the more I allow my my true self to show up. And the more I allow my swagger to swag, (laughs) I do better. And um, so, you know, I think that that would be the answer. What, what stops me often is what people will think. And that has been a, a work of my, on my end in the last several years, really looking at that and, and, and blowing it up and making sure that I kind of set myself free from that state of mind. Does that answer that question? 
It does. And, and it might, it might even answer the, the flip side of that question, which is what propels you forward mm-hmm. and what kind of, what kind of motivates you to, to continue moving forward. I really want to help people. I really want people to not feel alone when, and I really want people to know that sadness, anxiety, depression, compulsivity, all these things, I want them to know that that is actually part of our human makeup. It does not make them weird. It doesn't make them diagnostic. Uh, 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 diag- it doesn't make them in need of a diagnosis. I don't think it necessarily even needs medication all the time. Sometimes it does. I just want, I really want to spread the word and I really want to help people know that their darker days are part of their of their grit. It's part of what makes them special. It's part of what makes them capable of helping others. It's part of what makes them connectable. And, and so that motivates me. It moves me to make sure I'm accountable to make sure I own my own ups and downs so that I can model for others that, you know, we're as even as a therapist, we, we're a flaw, we're a flawed population, but so is every population, you know, and those therapists out there and, and the, the yoga instructors and the life coaches and all the people that, that have this, this modality of, I've got it all together. Well, I wouldn't want to take their yoga class and I don't want them to be my life coach because I want to talk to somebody (laughs) who's got, who's got some grit and who's got some life experience and who's got some flaws and who's learning themselves how to do life to the best of that person's ability. So what motivates me is the true desire to help people not feel alone and to shine a light on all the color that each of us has. Beth, that is an incredibly powerful word. And so one, thank you for that. But I also want to give you a chance to, uh, where can, where can people find you if they want some more information about, about you and the Beth, Beth Lewis uh, therapy group? Our website is, has everything on it. My poor website guy, um, I think that he sees emails come in from me and he just shudders, but, uh, (laughs) our website is bethlewistherapy.com. Um, on that you can schedule in our practice via telehealth or in office. We also have our podcast is on there. Season one is available on our website. Season two gets recorded in a couple of weeks. I also have a, an online therapy program called The Groovy U. Um, that's at thegroovyu.com, but there are also links for it at bethlewistherapy.com. The Groovy U is an online therapy subscription type thing. It does not cost much, but it's a 21-day um, effort to to kind of find balance in your own grit and in your own life with your own swagger and really bringing yourself to the table with all of your glory and working through 21 days to make sure all of that glory shows up through most of your life. Um, and that is thegroovyu.com and again, bethlewistherapy.com. Beth, five out of five gold stars for for your appearance here <laughs> on the podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much, Alex. It's been my pleasure. I love it. Thank you so much.